you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn to 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to read just a a brief beginning and then we'll dive into the Word uh, together. 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Father, we pray that we would not be worthless men and women. God, that we would know the Lord. Father, we pray that you would take this message and you would help us see the the grand biblical narrative of how you will raise up people to honor your name, and that you would convict us of sin in our own life, uh, and help us live in a way that honors you, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've received. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this is kind of an interesting uh, section of Scripture, uh, because really you, you, you kind of have a balance of two separate uh, individuals. You have this Samuel, which is kind of like the, been the main focus of the story so far. You have Hannah and her desiring a child and getting Samuel and Samuel being given to uh, to the priest. And, and it's kind of going, it goes back and forth between Samuel, the worthy man of God who's being raised up, and the worthless sons of Eli. You kind of see this, this back and forth. And you just see how the Lord is kind of, I think, setting up where he's going uh, in this book. So let's just begin with this first point. Worthless men do not know the Lord. Worthless men do not know the Lord. Verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All the fork brought up the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come up and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it to me, give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Uh, scholars are kind of debating on this, whether or not, I mean, the, the, the way the, uh, the offering was supposed to be taken is, is kind of spelled out in Leviticus. Uh, it really is not a ton of details in terms of how the, the practice actually happened in Leviticus chapter uh, 7. Uh, but what we see here is that... Um, the scholars debate whether or not this was the, the, the first two verses, 13 and 14. Is that reflecting the way things were supposed to be, uh, the, the practice supposed to be in um, in Israel? And only the second half was the, the, the way the practice had become. Uh, I, I don't think so. I think what, what it's trying to say here, these are the practices of what they did at, at Shiloh. And I think the key verse for us is verse 15 where it says, Moreover. 
More, it's kind of like a continuation from this is what they were doing, and moreover, this is how much worse it had gotten in explaining what they were doing. Uh, they were not going forward and, and, and treating the Lord's sacrifice with any kind of reverence. Uh, we see the, the, the kind of the key verse right there at the end of verse 17. Thus, because they handled the offering in this way, the, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Just a few comments here. Uh, one of the reasons why God in his word in the New Testament says that young men, or you shouldn't have um, uh, a recent convert serve as an elder, uh, so you don't want to have them to fall into the, the condemnation of, of the devil. Young men are prone to pride. They, young people in general, but especially young men, they think that they know more than, than others. And these young men did what they wanted, and they did not want to honor the Lord. Uh, you'll see the, the importance of raising our children and raising our leaders in, in a godly way. Uh, but here, these young men drifted. You know, and they really were drifting because they wanted more, more food. They wanted more, more resources. This was kind of the, the product of the day. We, we looked at this morning in the, the spirit of the age. Are we going to love God, or are we going to love money? Now, we could say, without a shadow of a doubt, we're going to love God first. And yet, sometimes that's not always the case. In certain situations, we may, our heart may be, may be going after money, and we may be tempted to, to dishonor God and go after money. I'll give you a story for myself. Uh, I was uh, 25, 26 years old, and uh, I was... Um, Notorious for getting parking tickets in Washington, D.C., because you can get a parking ticket anywhere in Washington, D.C. They are like parking lot, like parking meter ninjas, right? They, just, they get you. Where, and uh, I had a few outstanding parking tickets. Enough that the next one was going to give me a boot on my car. I'm not proud of it. And um, I was getting to my car, and I had like one minute passed. And the guy was right there going, write me a ticket. And I said, man, will you please, will you please not give me this ticket, right? Uh, I, I know I have a lot of parking tickets. Just will you please just show me some grace? And he kind of he kind of looked at me and goes, I can show you some grace. And, and my first instinct was to go into my wallet and to pay him off. My first instinct, I'm a Christian, I was leading a Christian ministry at the time, and my first instinct at that moment was to reach in my, in my wallet, grab a $20 bill and say, here you go, don't give me a ticket, right? In that moment, what I was tempted to, I was, I was tempted to love God less than loving money, right? Because I didn't want to pay my parking tickets. I figured I could just let them go. Well, no, it, it's about honoring God and not mammon. Listen, we are always tempted there. And this situation is a very clear example. These priests, instead of honoring the Lord and taking care of his house, what you see is that they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. If you look at the evangelical landscape, there are a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers who are only in it for the money. They, they are offering the, the, their, their words, right, to their people for, their, for the, the, the dollar, the um, pad a paycheck. And this grieves the Lord. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Now this offering was the way God's people came uh, to worship the Lord. Uh, this was the way that they came and said that God, they, were, they were forgiven of their sins. There was this act of, of faith. And these men, instead of helping people uh, find comfort from God, they were trying to take from the people of God. 
And here's one of the things that I know is that when God's leaders are not caring for God's people, he is angry. Because you are his most precious resource. You are his most treasured possession. So when God's people are abused by leadership, the Lord is angry. That's why today I think it was so beautiful for our congregation and having a group of godly elders uh, officially installed at our church who are, who are being called and, and challenged and encouraged to, to love and to shepherd us in a way that would be honoring to the Lord. These worthless men did not know the Lord. That's why they were doing it. The, the, the real reason why they were sinning and not honoring the Lord's contempt is because they did not know God. They were doing things for themselves. They were, they were, they were being driven by the flesh. You'll see that as we kind of work through the, the book of James. The book of James has often about the internal desires of the heart. Next week we think about temptations. Who tempts you? Temptations come from the mind and they come from heart. They come from within. We see the same thing in chapter 4. What, what causes quarrels and fights among you is the desires and the passions that wage war within you. These, these are the things that we really need to fight. And they can't overcome them because they're, they're driven by the flesh. Number one, worthless men do not know the Lord. So when we say worthless men, we're not saying that they don't have dignity, they don't have value, they're created in the image of God. They're called worthless because of how they're living. They're living worthless lives, not honoring the Lord. Then we see this change in verse 18. Worthy men trust the Lord. So worthless men do not know the Lord. Worthy men trust the Lord. Look at verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. Now, just, just so you know, look at the comparison here in language. It says that the young men were treating the Lord's sacrifice with contempt. Think maybe late teens. And here, verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy. Not a young man, but a boy ministering before the Lord. We have some children here today. Can I just let you know, children, that God is calling you to minister to the Lord. It doesn't matter how old you are. Your job, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to minister to his name. You should use your, your gifts and your talents to honor the name of the Lord. It did it with Samuel. These men were older, right? There's going to be a lot of people in your life who are older and, and more talented and, 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 and not honoring the Lord. But God's calling you, no matter how young you are, to minister to the Lord. We see that right here in Samuel's life. And it's interesting, why is Samuel doing this? Why is Samuel ministering before the Lord? Well, he's, he's being reminded by this by his mother. It says that he was clothed in a linen ephod. Look at verse 19. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she has asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived. And she bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So what we see here about Samuel is Samuel every year, we see his family honoring the Lord's sacrifice. These worthless men are treating the Lord's house and the Lord's worship in contempt, not honoring the sacrifice. Elkanah, Hannah, and Samuel are being raised in an environment to honor the Lord's sacrifice. They go there yearly, like they always had done. Remember, they went year after year after year after year. They were offering that sacrifice. Nothing has changed for them. They're still honoring the Lord. Uh, but here we see Samuel right there in, in the middle of it. And every year, what does his, his mama do? <laughs> she makes him a robe, right? Homemade clothes are the best. Um, 
Not really, but you get the picture, right? The settlement is really sweet, right? This, they're making these homemade garments, and every time Samuel puts that robe on, what does he think? It's, he's thinking about his mom and his dad saying, you honor the Lord. You were given to the Lord. You honor the Lord. So Samuel was raised from a, from a young child, even by his parents who, who gave him, gave him to, the, to, the, to the temple to serve, right? Every time they come, they would try to drop a little, little, little wisdom. We love you, son. Remember who you are. Remember that you are there as a priest unto the Lord. Honor him. That robe was a reminder. Now, we have a lot of reminders in our life. We have wedding rings. We have, we have crosses that we put certain places as a reminder of, of, of commitments we've made. You know, I think one of the things we need to do as, as families is figure out a way to pass on our faith in a more systematic, traditional way to our children. How do we create things in their life where they're regularly doing to honor the Lord? Right? Um, so maybe one example. Timothy uh, Schellenberger came and asked me today, Hey, Pastor Dave, when are we taking another mission trip? Right? He's ready to go. You know, um, Timmy, my, my missionary buddy. You know, so what he, he did last summer, listen, I'm going to go on a mission trip for the Lord. And now he wants to do that every year. He wants to have that become part of the culture of his life, is, is to go on mission for the Lord. You know, some of you take trips with your kids. We go to camp every year, right? They go to, uh, whether that's a children's camp or, or a youth camp. We, we do that every year. Well, how can we raise our kids in such a way where we have those markers to remind them of who they are, that their role is to serve the Lord? And I don't, have, I don't have all the answers there, but I think we should talk about that as parents. Maybe that's a good question. In what ways are you fostering faith in your children? That would be a great question to ask. You know, And I think it's going to probably spill out in a whole lot of other ways. You know, a lot of times when, when people ask us that question, you know what we get? We get a little defensive, right? Don't, don't get in my business, right? Don't tell me how I'm parenting. Let me do my thing. But honestly, that's just not the right heart. We should have an open heart saying, listen, I want my kids to grow in Christ. I want my kids to minister before the Lord. I want my kids to, to, to be raised in, in a way that honors the Lord. And beloved, we all have blind spots, don't we? That we don't see. So have good godly friends and ask them, how are you honoring the Lord with your kids? And have them ask you the same question so that you can leave these things with them. God uh, honored Hannah's raising of Samuel and by giving her three sons and two daughters. So Samuel, this worthy young man, is trusting the Lord. Uh, number two, this worthy men do not hear, worthless men, I'm sorry, do not uh, hear the Lord. Worthless men do not hear the Lord. Look at verse 22. Now Eli, so you see this kind of, this back and forth, Samuel, Eli's sons. Now Eli was very old and he kept, interesting word, he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. We don't know how long this is happening, but we know that, um, you know, usually you have, you have children when you're young. Semi-young. These are young men, and you can kind of think of the average age of, of a man with, with teenagers. And now he's old. And he says he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to dishonor the Lord. This is probably going on for quite some time. They were laying with women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. We don't know exactly who these women are, whether they were uh, cult prostitutes. They probably were just Israelite women that they were dishonoring, uh, not treating as... Um, Pure, sisters of purity. Verse 23, And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. 
So he kept on hearing it. Now he's hearing it from all these people, all of Israel. Verse 24. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? So we, we kind of see Eli finally giving good advice to his kids. And he says, listen, you've got to stop what you're doing. This is dishonoring the Lord. You have to stop. Why do you do such things? Why do you do such things? And he, he tells us right there that we need a mediator. It's a huge biblical theology. We need a mediator. If you sin against uh, somebody else, um, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, if someone sins against the Lord, who is there to intercede for him? If you have done wrong, your ultimate sin is against God and God alone. And if your, your sin is against God, who is going to intercede for you? The reality is that we need an, an intercessor. right? We need someone standing before God and, and taking the wrath that is deserved for us. And that's exactly the, what the Lord Jesus Christ did. right? He's the one who became our, our, um, our, our mediator. Right? There was one mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy 2.5. It is the man, Christ Jesus. He's the one who, who gave himself as a ransom for us. He took the, the wrath of God. He took the, the brunt of God so that we could stand in God's presence. So now, when, for us who are in Christ, when God sees us, he sees us wrapped with the righteous robes of Jesus. He no longer sees our sins. He no longer sees our guilt. No longer sees our shame, our, our penalty for our sin. No, he sees Christ's blood. So now for the rest of history, when God looks at us, even when we sin, and there will be maybe wrath coming against us, Jesus says, He is mine. She belongs to me. It's paid for. Once and for all. This is just kind of just pops up in the scripture, right? You, you need an intercessor. And, and of course, you would think that his sons hearing the sage advice of, of, of their elderly father, that they would finally get it. But what happens? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, we don't know if it was the will of the Lord to put, the, put them to death because they didn't obey, because they didn't want to hear the Lord, or it could be read that the Lord made them not listen to the voice of their father, and therefore it was because of his will to put them to death. Right? You could maybe see that similarity in Pharaoh, right? At one point it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and at another point it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But we know this. We know that for years, um, we could probably make an assumption that Eli had this conversation before, right? Just, I mean, it's probably just an assumption that probably came up yet. Yeah. Boys, stop what you're doing. This is probably not good. Maybe not the way he should have, but maybe maybe it came up. Um, uh, but what we see here is, um, I just lost my thought. Such a good point. Don't you hate that? You're about to say something profound, life-changing, radically transforming of your lives, and it just slips away out of your head. Um, well, I guess the Lord didn't want you to, to be transformed tonight. Um <laughs> We do, we do know this, right? That they had years of disobeying the Lord. They had years of, of not uh, turning to the Lord. So, finally, it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Because when, when God, God is patient. God is so kind with us. And yet, God has a limit. God has a limit. 
You know, sometimes we give ourselves over to sin uh, so much that he just lets us go. And say, that's the way you want to live. I'm going to let you ruin your life. But he won't let you ruin others. Eventually, he, he wants to protect those people. So we, we see this. We see that it was the Lord's will to put them to death. They do not listen. Just maybe a personal application is, how are you hearing the voice of the Lord? When the word of God goes forth on, on Sunday, how are you listening? I'm not sure. This is kind of a sweet thing, having Max read uh, Psalm 34 today. Uh, not just because he's Max, and he, this one's marked in my Bible. It's sweet, made you listen a little bit more. Um, but him putting down his cane and him kind of slowly walking over to the, to, to the pulpit, I think that kind of had that, that kind of that silent awe that kind of created the word of God is about to be read. Are we going to listen to the word of God? Are we going to tremble at the voice of God? When the sermon is about to, to go, some of you, when the offering goes out, sometimes you just you put your offering in and you kind of use that time to kind of talk to your, talk to your neighbor, um, which is fine. But w- w- maybe a better use of that time during the offering is to prepare your own heart for the hearing of God's word. Because you don't want to be worthless men like Eli or um, uh, Hannes and Phineas, right? You don't, you don't want to be Eli's sons and not hearing the word of voice of the Lord. There's so many distractions in our lives this is the time we hear God's word. Let's soften our hearts to be ready to listen. Number four, worthy men grow in the Lord. Worthy men grow in the Lord. You see this transition again. Now the boy, now this, these, aren't, these aren't even young men anymore. They're sons. Now the boy, Samuel, continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. That sounds familiar. Let me read it again, see if anything kind of pops in your head. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature, physically, and in favor with the Lord and also with man. There's a, there's a verse in the New Testament that should be blazing, right? Luke, Luke 2.52, way to go, Miss Ellen Landers, right? Luke 2.52, right? Which one? Bible drill, right? Luke 2.52. What, 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 what God is doing here is God is, is kind of showing us a picture of the Messiah. He's giving us a window of what's going to come. When there is worthless priests, right, God is going to raise up a godly priest to establish his house forever. What you see in chapter 2 is, is, is God communicating to us is how he's going to bring uh, his salvation to bear upon his people. Uh, do you remember 1 Peter 1? We looked at it a couple weeks ago. And it says the angels searched, or the, um, the prophets searched and inquired who was going to be the Christ. Right? They looked at the scriptures and said, who is Jesus going to be? Well, the New Testament communicates that the Messiah is Jesus by verses like connecting those two. Uh, 2 Samuel 2.26 and Luke 2.52. Luke 2.52 says, And the child grew and became strong, stature, and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. A window. God is going to send a faithful priest. Number five. Worthless men will be cut off from the Lord. Worthless men will be cut off from the Lord. Verse 27. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him. This is very common in, in uh, Samuel. This is kind of how prophecies kind of how A man of God came, a prophet came and gave a word. Eli said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when you were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? 
Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest and to go up to my altar and to burn incense to wear the ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all your offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Uh, speaking of the Levitical priesthood, this is your lineage. This is who you are, your tribe. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And hear this, honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people, Israel. That's a, that's a pretty stinging question that the Lord has. He says, how can you honor your sons above me? Family idolatry and the love of sport and activity more than the faithfulness to God is a very real problem in the American church. I think the American, the Lord, could go to many American church-going families and say, how can you honor your son's sports activities more than the Lord? What it really is, they didn't want to, Eli didn't want to deal with his sons. Just, I'm just going to pray and hope they change. You know, one of the, the things that uh, created a, a lot of anxiety in me uh, over these last several years uh, was how do we handle um, the children of our members who have kind of walked away from the Lord? You know, because when you're a parent, you're, you're sensitive to your kids, aren't you? Right? You love your kids more than anything. And your heart, your heart breaks for them that they've walked away. And, and what do you do with someone who is walking away from the Lord? Well, what does the Bible tell you to do? You discipline them. You give them. You give them discipline. You give them discipline while they're in their home, and as they as they grow, if they don't listen to the church, you you, you treat them as a gentile or a tax collector. You put them out of the church. And we had many uh, of the, the the children of our members who who weren't honoring the Lord, and I had to make a choice, right? And I had to help the our dear members make a choice. Are we going to honor God, or are we going to honor our children over God? God has very specific things to say in His Word. And are we going to honor those things, or are we going to reject them? It's a very real thing, you know. And you know, by God's grace, the the, the men and women in our church have just risen up. You know, we have uh, recently sent out a letter encouraging people to come back to Christ and come back to His church, and you know, people have responded, right, and saying, "Listen, no, we're going to honor what the Lord says first, even above the, the desires of our own children." You know, that's a hard thing to do. You know, and if I if I I love my kids, and if I'm in Eli's shoes here, and you know I, my kids have a job, and they're 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 the, they're the priest, and they're doing all this stuff, and they're not doing it well, I, maybe I can just wait it out. Maybe I can just wait it out. Well, if you wait it out too long, you don't honor the Lord. One of the reasons why kids drift into into sin is because of of their obviously their sinful hearts, but all, they also drift into sin because of the ne negligence of their parents. We can't ignore sin. We have to deal with it. We have to discipline them, right? And if we don't, if we take the easy road out now, guess what? It's going to be pain down the road, you know? I mean, things that we've had to do here in the last six years should have been done years ago, right? But the truth is no one really wanted to deal with it. Why? Because it creates a giant mess. Because when you try to hold people to the accountability of God's standards, people don't like that. And people sometimes attack you, you know? And that's hard. 
But by, by God's grace, God has grown our membership and grown the people in our membership. They want to honor the Lord in how they handle it. Notice what happens here. Um, there's a lot more I could say about uh, idolatry. You know, I think it kind of moves into children idolatry. And lately I've seen a lot of you know, grandparents doing the same thing with their children. Right. So just be careful. Do not honor children or family more than God. Verse 30. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me for those who honor me. and I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. A nice way of saying it. They're going to be condemned. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off the strength, your strength and the strength of your father's house. So there will not be an old man in your house. Your line is going to end. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you, only one of you, whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword. Judgment is going to come, the Lord says, to your house. And there's only going to be one to survive. He's going to survive so he can weep. His heart can be grieved over the sin of his family. Uh, friends, sin affects more than just one person. He, you know, uh, Eli's sons, Hophni and uh, Phineas, um, they, um, their sin affected far more people than just themselves. It didn't just hurt the people that they were stealing from. It didn't just hurt their, uh, their fathers. But as we see here, it hurt their whole lineage. So if you have sin in your life, just realize it, it never ends with you. The lie of the evil one is that you think it does. It does not. Do not believe the lie. Before you click that mouse, before you post that comment, before you gossip behind someone's back, realize that that sin will not end just with you. We see how God ends this in verse 34. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. Just so you know that the word is true, this is going to happen. They're both going to die on the same day. We see that in a couple chapters later. Well, let me close with this. Worthy men will be raised up by the Lord. Worthy men will be raised up by the Lord. And I would just say worthy men, but really a worthy man. I think this is where the author is going here. And it says, all speaking to Eli, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to, to, do to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. So what I think what, what the author is doing here is he's trying to get us to, to think about a couple things. He's really trying to connect it to 2 Samuel about the sure house of David. Well, it's the same language. That, that sure house is the sure house in and out before his anointed forever is, is a picture that, that David's house is going to be established, a sure and a strong and a faithful house. It says here that he's, a, he's going to raise up a faithful priest. Now, one, a lot of times when we think about biblical prophecy, what happens is there's an immediate fulfillment and then there's a long-term fulfillment. So think of like looking at two uh, mountain ranges. I've used it before, right? You're looking at two mountain ranges. You see one mountain range, right? 
But off in the distance, you just see the, the, the peak of the other mountain range. But if you turn to the side, there's a huge valley in the middle. Okay? And, and what we see here is we see an immediate fulfillment. God is going to raise up a faithful priest, probably Zadok the priest, who served in, in David's house, who was a faithful priest. But it's also looking forward, right, to another faithful priest who's going to come. A faithful priest is going to come in the order of Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus Christ, our faithful high priest, who's going to go before the Father and bear our sins once and for all so that we could be forgiven. And because of the Lord Jesus, because the Lord Jesus bore our sins and is our faithful high priest, uh, the Bible says that we are being built up into his house, living stones who honor his name. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Right here in the Old Testament, you see these two wonderful glimpses that there's going to be a, a faithful priest who's going to grow in wisdom and stature of men, Luke 2.52, and he's going to become the faithful high priest uh, of his people. So what God is doing with Samuel is he's trying to draw our eyes to the Messiah who's going to come, the Lord Jesus, who will save us from our sins. Father, I pray that we would revel and rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, who saved us from our sins. God, we pray that as we read through these Old Testament stories and see these narratives, Father, that we would see Christ in them. We would see how you are working in and through your people and in and through history to, to show us that Jesus Christ was coming, our sure and faithful high priest who is going to establish his house forever. People from every tribe and tongue and language of people gathered around the throne of God saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus, the Lamb of God, to, to be slain, that we could be your people, that we could be your sure house. So God, I pray that because we are born-again believers, that we would not be worthless men who do not know the Lord, that we would not be worthless men and women who live in sin, who love money more than, more than you, who honor our, our family or relationships or anything above you. Oh God, I, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to open our eyes to see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen.